title of this morning's message is, What Kind of a Witness Are You? We're going to be talking about evangelism uh, today, and when I come back in a couple weeks, I'll talk more about evangelism with you. Also, during our Sunday school classes, if you haven't been there, um, you're missing a a good blessing. I went to hear Eduardo this morning talking about uh, being a disciple. And uh, he's doing a great job. He's got uh, zeal and passion to want to see people come to Christ. But not only that, to continue to make disciples of all nations, just like the Scripture commands us to do. So what we want at Cornerstone is we want to help you have a mindset for evangelism. A mindset for outreach. Okay, we've been in this church walls. If you've been saved any length of time, uh, you know how wonderful it is to come and praise. I mean, was praise wonderful this morning? You can't beat it. There's nothing greater than being in the presence of God. But there's a whole world out there. And even though Lynchburg is nicknamed the city of churches, how many people do you think aren't saved in Lynchburg? Quite a few. Quite a few. So we have a job to do, don't we? So as we come in here and praise our Creator and praise our Savior, uh, we want to now go out into the streets, out into our neighborhoods, out into our schools, out into our jobs, and let our light shine so we can bring people into here once they get saved and they can worship the same wonderful God that we do. That's, that's what it's all about until Jesus Christ comes back. So... Um, We really, at Cornerstone, want to help you develop a mindset for outreach, and I want to do that this morning. Again, the title of the message is, What Kind of a Disciple Are You? I want to read you a story to start off. This is called John Harper's Last Convert. It was many years ago when a great ship, the Titanic, was making its first voyage from England to America. On board was John Harper who was coming to America to be the head of the Moody Bible Church. The Titanic had been heralded as an unsinkable ship, but when it neared Newfoundland, it struck an iceberg and sank with the loss of a great many passengers. Among them was John Harper. Sometime after this happened, a young Scotsman rose in a meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and he gave this testimony. I was on the Titanic, he said. When she sank, I was drifting alone on a spar in the icy water on that awful night, and a wave brought John Harper of Glasgow near to me. Man, are you unsaved, he shouted. No, I am not, was my reply. He answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but strange to say, a little later, he was washed back alongside of me. Are you saved now, he replied. No, I can honestly say that I am. Um, I cannot honestly say that I am saved. Once more, he repeated the verse, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Then losing his hold, he sank. And there alone in the night, with two miles of water underneath me, I believe. I am John Harper's last convert. Isn't that powerful? I mean, here's a man who's faithful to the end. I mean, he was faithful to the end. There's another account. You can Google John Harper online and you can read 
Another account says that he was swimming back and forth in the water from soul to soul. Um, and he had a life preserver on, and he witnessed to one person and asked them if they were saved. They said no. It said he took off his life preserver, gave it to that person, said, you need this more than I do, and shared the gospel with that person. So now he's just swimming in the water without a life preserver. The water was frigid. Of course, you know, hypothermia and, and drowning eventually got him. Uh, John Harper gave his life for the gospel. He, would you agree he was a good witness to Jesus Christ to the end? Oh, that's an encouraging story. And we want to be good witnesses, don't we? We want to have a good testimony. And so I want to talk to you today about being a good witness. Okay, God wants us to be a good witness to the truth. Let's take a look at John. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, we have the Helper, don't we? Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we have the spirit of truth living in us if we've been born into God's family. Why? So we can testify. Because the Holy Spirit is telling us everything that the Father is whispering, right? The Father whispers, the Spirit, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and it comes to us. What do we do with it? We testify. We bear witness of it through our life, through our words. There's another way to bear witness or testify, and that's to give a defense. Okay, we're to bear witness through a defense. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. So, What the Lord wants us to do is testify to the truth and be able to give a defense for the gospel with meekness and with fear. Okay, so the question is, what kind of witnesses are there? I've actually uh, identified four characteristics of being a good witness. And I'm going to call them four levels of being a witness. Okay, level one would be we can witness through our character, can't we? Level two, we can witness by doing good works. Level three, we can witness through proclamation. That's a fancy way to say open your mouth. And level four, we can witness through suffering and death. Right, John Harper gave his life for the gospel, really. Uh, so we're going to talk about these four ways that we can be witnesses. And as, as I go through these, see where you're at. See which level, so to speak, that you've been operating in. Because eventually we want to be able to stretch our faith and move maybe to the next level. So the first level is, are you a witness through your character? And what do I mean by character? There's a couple ways to define it. Character is what you say and do when no one's around, okay? It's how you act when no one's around. Or you could say it's how you act and behave when you're under pressure or duress, 
right? So uh, part of our character, of course, is our speech. God wants us to have pure speech. So let's take a look in Ephesians and see what God says about having pure speech. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt means filthy. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. So God doesn't want us filthy talk. He doesn't want us to have a dirty mouth, so to speak. He wants us to impart grace. He wants our words to edify. He wants us to build up, not be critical and tear down. Okay? And also, um, there's some words we're exhorted in um, chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So God doesn't want coarse jesting. That's dirty jokes. So how are, how are you when you're at work with people that are telling dirty jokes? You ever been in that situation? Someone just starts to give kind of raunchy thing, and you're standing there. What do you do? You just tell them, stop! I mean, you could. You say, look, I, uh, that's probably not good for me to hear. Uh, you know, please don't share that around me. You could say that. Or you could just turn and walk away. Either one. But if you stand there and you laugh and go along with it, basically you participated in filth. Okay, so we don't want to do that. We don't want this coarse, dirty stuff. We don't want to say it, and we don't want to hear it. And if someone's spewing it forth, you don't need to listen to it. Either tell them to stop in a nice way or walk away. So we have purity of speech with our character. And usually, um, I mentioned earlier, when we're under duress, most of us can control our language, our speech. You know, we can sound professional, we can sound nice when everything's going well. But what happens when things aren't going well, when we're squeezed? Uh, Maybe a job situation where you feel pressure. Did you ever make a mistake at work? I hate it when that happens. I mean, you feel terrible, don't you? And now you've got to somehow save face. You've got to somehow make it right. You've got to apologize to somebody. You've got to admit that you made the mistake. You're doing damage control. Well, a lot of times you're anxious during that time and you say things that aren't edifying. Or if you're like uh, me, I've, I face temptation sometimes. I'm doing a project at home, uh, working on a car or uh, doing a home renovation project. And something doesn't go right, ever happened to you. You drop the tool, something breaks. Well, what I find myself saying sometimes is, I can't believe this. Okay, what am I really saying? I'm complaining, really. I'm not uttering edifying words. It's, it's a form of complaining. And what really uh, struck a chord with me is the other day, I heard my little boy David, who's eight, say that. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> the little megaphones around my house are bearing witness to their earthly father's speech that was not glorifying to God. So I had to tell David that was not the correct thing to say. And I had to say, oh God, help me not to uh, say things like that. 
So our children will bear witness uh, to mom and dad, won't they? So we want our speech to be pure. We want our speech to be uh, edifying to people. Also part of our character is we want to have pure thoughts. Uh, Pure thoughts, basically. You've heard the scripture, um, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the thoughts that I entertain in my mind, if I continue to entertain them, then that's exactly what I act out and become. So if I think selfish thoughts, especially at work again, uh, because I'm in a secular work world, yeah, I'll see people, and I'll have opportunities to be a servant. But I'm so task-oriented, I'm so busy all the time, I don't want to serve because I have to get my work done. And so there's a need over here. Do I want to do it? Not really. I just let's let them do what they want to do. You know, they, let them get their job done. I'll do my job. Okay, am I being a servant? Not really. Um, those thoughts could be selfish. And if I entertain that enough... My, my busyness, got to get my work. Everything's for me at work. You know, legitimately so, right? I've got to get my work done. The only problem with my is it's selfish all the time. My, my, me, 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 me. So if I have that mindset, then that's what I do. I'm selfish. What kind of a testimony is that for Christ if I'm never serving anybody in the workplace? What, is, what do people in the workplace need to see? They need to see when you're busy, you drop what you're doing and you come over and help them. They say, well, look, you've got to do your stuff. Oh, I'll get my stuff done. Let me help you. And you do that on a consistent basis. What do they see? Something different, right? Something different. So we really need to guard our thoughts so we have a good testimony. The other thing is lust is a big one. Movies you watch, TV, Internet. If you start entertaining thoughts of lust in your mind, what happens? Eventually, it wants to come out somehow. And it's going to come out in slow ways. And eventually, of course, the end of lust, it conceives and gives birth to sin, is uh, full-blown sexual immorality. And we all know um, men and women of God who have fallen through sexual immorality. Sexual immorality doesn't just happen. It happens over a period of days, weeks, months, and years, slowly entertaining in your mind, slowly watching the wrong stuff. And then what kind of testimony are you? Well, the name of Christ is blasphemed all day long among the Gentiles because of you, the Scripture says. That's pretty, that's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, to be a reproach for Christ because we didn't cut off those weed thoughts that came into our minds. So we want to be a witness, a good witness, through our godly character. Uh, The third part of our godly character is having a peaceful disposition, right? So we have purity of speech, purity of thoughts, and having a peaceful disposition. And let's see what we have in Ephesians about a peaceful disposition. Let's take a look here. Uh, 4.31 in Ephesians. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Why? What should I do? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Are you known for your bitterness, irritability, frustration? Are you known for your anger? 
Or do people see peace in you? They see kindness, gentleness, self-control. What do they see? In your neighborhood, in your schools, in your work. The world, I've noticed, it's almost justifiable in the world system if you're upset or if circumstances are overwhelming you in the world, especially in the workplace, it's justifiable to uh, say the wrong thing. It's justifiable to curse. It's justifiable to get upset. And it's justifiable to complain. I've seen it. But when we are pressured and we act with gentleness, kindness, and literally all pressures coming against us, people are like, how can that be? And I had my cousin years ago. She said, how, how do you handle the stress? Because she saw something different. I said, well, I trust Jesus for my situations. But she had no way to deal, do it. So when someone sees you under great trial and duress, be at peace, that's a very, very peculiar person. You are very, very strange. There's something bright shining off you that is not seen very often. Isn't that great? Witness by our character. But it's not enough. Um, level one character is not the least important. It's actually the most important. It's the foundation. Our godly character is the foundation for our witness for Jesus Christ. If you don't have godly character, you can forget all the other levels. If you're out there sinning and living it up with the rest of the sinners, having a good old time, and then you're going to tell somebody how Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, don't even open your mouth. Don't even open your mouth. That, that would be terrible. Level two. So we need more than godly character. Level two is we can be witnesses through good works. Okay, and we all know the scripture in Matthew 19, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are as workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. So God made us for good works. Why? So that men would see them and give Him glory. So there's a connection between us doing good works and Christians and the world looking on and saying, wow, you're doing that in the name of God? Well, your God's awesome. And God gets the glory. Uh, the only thing with good works, um, you can have the right attitude with your work or you can have the wrong attitude with your work. Jesus said the flesh counts for nothing. So you do a good work and you're in the flesh, it counts for absolutely nothing spiritually. Oh, did you help somebody? Yeah, you helped somebody. But when you stand and face Christ, that work is burned up, counted for nothing. So we want to do our good works with a good motivation. Does that sound good? In the Scripture, there's a pretty apt illustration of two men that did good works. Let's take a look in Acts here. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. I'm sorry, let's see, not Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 4. Thank you to my lovely wife. 
Um, let me turn to there. Acts 4.36. I'm sorry about that. Okay, it says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so Barnabas sells his land, brings the money, gives it to the apostles. Good work, right? I don't know what his attitude is yet. Do you? just tells us he did a good work. Chapter 5, but, we have a conjunction, a comparison coming up here. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, took a, sold a possession. And he kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, we're told that his motivation wasn't right. So two men. Barnabas, if you read the book of Acts, has good fruit all the way through. Barnabas had a good motive in selling his property and bringing the proceeds to the Lord. He wanted to be a blessing. He gave it all. He did it to glorify God. Barnabas went on, of course. Um, he was the only one that was not afraid to go to Saul, who was breathing murderous threats. Remember when Saul got converted? None of the other disciples would go near him because they were all afraid he, was, he would throw him in prison. Well, Barnabas was the only one who had the courage and boldness to go to Saul, and he brought Saul to the church leaders and said, hey guys, he's okay. It may, I know what he did, but he's okay. And Barnabas... Barnabas discipled Saul, the great apostle Paul. Do you realize Barnabas discipled him? And then when Paul, the great apostle Paul, rejected John Mark later on because John bailed out on a missionary journey, uh, Barnabas said, hey, let him come. Paul's like, no, he bailed out. I don't want him. Barnabas is like, let him come. No, I don't want him. Let him come. I don't want him. All right, I'm going up here. I'm taking him. Paul said, all right, I'm going over here. Later on, when Paul was near to death, you know what he said? He wrote a letter and said, hey, bring John Mark to me because uh, he's, his, he's of value to me for ministry. But anyway, I'm just painting a picture of Barnabas with the right attitude of having a great testimony all the way through the book of Acts. His, his works were pleasing to God. Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't last the day. They were dead that same day. That's the end of the story. Gone. So when you do good works, you want to have a good attitude, right motivations. Now, so far we've covered character, being a witness through our character, being a witness through our good works. When you combine character and good works, some people call that lifestyle evangelism. Do you ever hear that term? You know, why do you open your mouth and tell people about Jesus? You know, I'm, I don't really need to do that. I just need to have, you know, a good lifestyle. I need to be witnessing with my lifestyle, right? Well, it's true. We do. The only problem is it's not enough because people aren't going to get saved by observing you. And what I mean by that is God is drawing people through your conduct. God is drawing people through your good works. But you haven't preached, you haven't said the gospel yet, have you? So we need more. We need level three. Level three is our proclamation. You know when the Bible says to preach? It just means to herald something. It means to proclaim something. 
And if I may speak plainly, open your mouth. Right? Open your mouth. Let's take a look at uh, what Paul said about opening your mouth in Romans 10. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? I'm in 10.14. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone opening their mouth? My paraphrase. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who open their mouth? My paraphrase. The gospel of peace, right? Now, what it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. We have to say something. We actually have to open our mouth and speak. What happens? What if uh, John Harper, just been swimming in the cold, cold ocean, just a good guy, man, a nice guy, spent all his life doing good works, had godly character, just swimming in the ocean, saw all these people, didn't say a word, just went down under the sea and died. End of story. Well, he'll be with Jesus, right? No doubt about it. But what did he do? He's freezing cold. He's getting hypothermia. He's on his way out. He opened his mouth. What did he say? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right? So God wants us to open our mouth. Let's take a look at, let's go back to Acts here, make sure I get the right place. Acts chapter 8. Philip opened his mouth. Remember the story of Philip? He went down to Samaria to preach the gospel. And he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, right, riding in his chariot. This eunuch was a, a god fear. He was a worshiper. He was on his way back home. And now Philip is walking down the road, minding his own business. I'm sure he had something to do, right? I'm sure he had some plan for his day. And all of a sudden, he was sensitive to this Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit tells him, hey, go run and overtake that chariot and talk to that guy. He was instant in season out, right? So Philip goes running, hops up on the chariot and says, hey, what are you doing? Verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? That's pretty cool. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. That's great. The place in Scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and his lamb before its shears is silent. And he quotes Isaiah. He is reading Isaiah chapter 52, 53. So the eunuch answered Philip, verse 34, and said, who is this prophet telling us, speaking about himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth. Verse 35. Is it up there? Does it say mouth up there? Yeah, he opened his mouth. Isn't that cool? He opened his mouth. What did he say? And beginning at this Scripture, preached Jesus to him. Praise God. He did that. You realize this, this Ethiopian, how do, how do you think the Gospel got back down to Ethiopia? This guy. He was on a, I don't know how, how far the distance was. I don't know how many hundreds of miles. 
maybe a thousand miles it was to where he lived with, under his queen Candace. How do you think the gospel? Because Philip opened his mouth. This guy then believes, hey, I want to get baptized. Philip's like, well, if you believe, you can. So he says, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip's like, hey, you're in the kingdom, man. Take it down. Takes it down to Ethiopia. Gospel gets spread through Ethiopia. Why? 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 He opened his mouth. It wasn't enough that he had godly character. Philip did, didn't he? It wasn't enough that he did good works. You know he did. He opened his mouth. So he made it to level three. Level three. And the world was changed. That's awesome. So you say, well, Elder John, I'm not sure what to say when I open my mouth. Actually, you do know what to say. You do know what to say. You can share your testimony. Right? Um, The Apostle Paul, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul's testimony is recorded three times in the book of Acts. Isn't that amazing? His testimony. You can read it. Uh, The first time, Luke just records what happened. The second time, Paul is in Jerusalem and they see him with a Gentile and the place goes ballistic. They mob him. They grab him. The Roman centurion rescues him. They haul him away. Paul says, no, wait, let me speak to these people. So in Hebrew, he speaks. There's a hush that falls over the crowd and he starts sharing his testimony. Hey, guys, I'm one of you. I was on the road to Damascus. I had letters in my hand. I was going to go take the disciples prisoners, bring them into prison. And then a light came and I fell to the ground and I was blinded and I heard a heavenly voice. He's sharing his testimony. It went really well until he mentioned the G word, Gentile. And they went ballistic again. The centurion had to whisk him out. Then he's before Felix. He's before Agrippa. He's, when, when, when the Apostle Paul got saved, read what God spoke over him. God said first of all to Ananias. It's interesting God speaks it to Ananias and not uh, Saul directly. He said to Ananias, hey, he's my chosen vessel. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my namesake. Oh, that's a good word. <laughs> Thanks, God. <clears throat> then he said, he will be my witness before the Jews, before the Gentiles, and before kings. So God spoke that word over him. So now he's standing before the kings, Festus, Agrippa, um, Bernice. And what did he do? Shared his testimony. He said, hey, guys, I don't know why I'm in prison. I haven't done anything. The only thing that happened was I was on the road to Damascus and I had letters in my hand. I was putting these disciples in prison and and a light came from heaven. And basically my whole world blew up and I was just obedient to the heavenly vision. I mean, that's all I was doing. He shared his testimony. We say, Elder John, really, you know, I don't have a testimony. I wasn't saved out of drugs. And I wasn't saved out of alcohol. And I didn't beat up 14 wives and then get, I mean, so I really don't have a very powerful testimony. Did you ever hear that or ever think that? or Because you, you're born in the church, right? You were raised. You got saved in Sunday school class. That's a terrible testimony. <laughs> I can't even believe you would share that. You should be ashamed of yourself getting saved in Sunday school class. <laughs> Look, you have a testimony. I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell you your testimony. You were saved in Sunday school class. 
or you were saved when you were three and a half years old, sitting on your mom's knee. Then you gave your life again at four and a half years old. Then you gave your life again to Christ in Sunday school class. Let me tell you what your testimony is. Here's what your testimony is. Hey, you know what? I came to know Christ at a young age. And man, I am so thankful. Man, my parents loved God. They protected me so much of the junk that was out there. You would not believe how blessed I am because of my parents and the godly example. Uh, They spared me so much hurt. You know, all this alcohol and drug stuff, man. I didn't have to go through any of that. You know what's amazing now? All my roommates come to me and they ask me questions because they see there's peace in my life and they're asking me what should they do about their boyfriends and about their situations and about drugs and about drinking. They all come to me and ask me what should we do? And I tell them. And they get saved. And they go to campus ministry with me. Oh, you don't have any testimony. Sorry to hear it. Well, I just gave you your testimony. Every single Christian kid in here, I just gave you your testimony. Every single person here that was saved in Sunday school, you now have a testimony that you don't need to be ashamed of it, do you? My goodness, that's an awesome testimony. You just take it all the way until Jesus comes back. Open your mouth. It's not enough to open your mouth. So we got three levels of witnessing so far, right? We got character, extremely important. Good works, important. Open your mouth. Nobody gets saved unless you open your mouth. Oh, yes, they do, because I heard somebody had a dream. God gave these Muslims a dream in Sudan, and somebody got saved. I don't doubt that at all. Praise God that God decided in His sovereignty to send the Holy Spirit and give a Muslim a dream, and they get saved. I have nothing against that at all. But what's God tell us to do? He wants us to open our mouth. So, but should we stop at level three? There's actually the fourth level. And it usually comes when we open our mouth. It could be one reason we don't open our mouth is because we don't want, we're afraid of level four. So there's, there's kind of a tension here on level four. I'm not really... The purpose isn't to go into this tension. The tension is between, of course, our human actions and God's sovereignty. Let me give you, I just told you about our human actions, right? If you open your mouth, you might get persecuted. Okay, that's, that's kind of us, our part. But God's sovereignty says this. It's, it's pretty fascinating in Philippians 1.29. You can't go to level four on your own. Let's take a look. For to you has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Okay, for it has been granted. God grants it. It's a gift. Suffering and and being a, a martyr, it's a gift. It comes from God. And so... You say, well, John, do you go look for suffering and do you go look to be killed? No, I don't. I look to do level one, level two, level three. And if I receive level four, praise God. If I don't receive level four, praise God anyway. He knows what I need. He knows what I can bear up. He knows for my life what will bring Him the maximum glory. So I don't chase martyrdom. You know, I'm not, some, I'm not into self-glory. I, I chase Christ. And if in the process... I have to swim in an ocean and die. Well, that's God gets glory through that. 
So it's been granted to you. Ever since the beginning of time, men and women have given their lives and suffered for the cause of Christ, for the cause of God. I I was thinking um, from Genesis to Revelation, in Genesis, who, who was righteous that lost their life in Genesis? Right, Cain killed Abel. And remember, Hebrews talks about righteous, the sacrifice of righteous Abel. So it's interesting. Abel was a witness through his faith to Cain. And what happened? It was granted. In a sense, he was martyred. He was killed by his own brother. That's, I had never looked at it quite that way before. And all the prophets, what did they do? What did, what did the audience do to the prophets in the Old Testament? They put them to death. They killed them, right? Hebrews 11 gives their testimony. It's worth reading. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, deny Christ and I won't hurt you. They said, go ahead and hurt me. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in half, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the mountains, in dens, in caves of the earth. It was granted for them to do that. That's how they brought glory to God. Isn't that awesome? What's the point? Well, one, it's an encouragement for us. Hebrews chapter 12, it's not up there. 12.1, Therefore, because of all these men and women that gave their lives and were a testimony even to death, because of that, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of all those witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance that's set before us, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So in other words, because of John Harper swimming in the ocean and dying, because of these men and women in Hebrews who have given their lives, we can actually take heart, be encouraged, right? To put aside the sin, not get entangled in sin, and run this race. They made it. Therefore, there's all this cloud of witnesses surrounding us and they're screaming, we made it, you can make it by the grace of God. That's the message. Isn't that awesome? I'm not qualified to talk about the next part of this message, um, so I'm going to play a video clip and let you hear it from people who are qualified to give this. Um, Young children, uh, parents may not want to have young children watch some of this um, because it's graphic illustration, so I just, just want to give you a little heads up on that. Maybe distract your child if you want to. Uh, but let's, let's roll a clip of the Voice of the Martyrs. The Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry that our church supports, and they serve the persecuted church throughout the world. These are men and women who are qualified to talk about suffering and martyrdom. I'm not. So let's, let's roll uh, Indonesia. Sean or Asher. 
killing as many as 10,000 people, burning churches and businesses, and leaving thousands of believers homeless. Emergency medical workers arriving on the scene at the Dulos Bible Academy in Jakarta, December 15, 1999, were preparing to take the body of 20-year-old Dominguez Kinjam to the Muslim morgue. They found him lying in a pool of blood, motionless on the ground, his head nearly severed from his body. Dominguez prayed that God would give him the strength to speak. Suddenly, as if out of nowhere, he whispered four words, I'm a Christian. Miraculously, Dominguez survived the assault on the school that night. Two other students were also seriously injured. Another was killed. Dominguez says the incident has helped him grow closer to God. He says he prays for his Muslim attackers and he forgives them unconditionally as commanded by Jesus. I forgive them by praying and if I meet them one day, I will tell them about this. And Jesus said that we must forgive uh, our enemies. Rika is a typical teenager. She is outgoing, popular with her friends, and attends a local Christian high school. However, Rika lives in Indonesia, where being a Christian can test the depths of one's faith. A small group of students at Rika's high school arranged a Bible camp. It was the first ever event of its kind for her community, and the teens were very excited. The first evening went by without incident, unlike the second. In the evening meeting, we were rejoicing and singing songs. We were being very loud when the leaders asked us to quiet down. They told us about a pastor who had been burned alive in his church by the Muslim extremists. He asked us to think about this and asked, if such a thing happened to you, what would you do? We immediately quieted down and began thinking about what the leaders had told us. All of a sudden, a large stone came through the window. We heard shouting and more stones were being thrown. Everyone became frightened. The lights had gone out and there was broken glass everywhere. I was hit in the head with one of the rocks. I hardly knew what had happened to me, but I could hear screaming and crying all around. I cried out, we must pray. Don't panic. Pray. Ask God to help us. A number of radical Muslims had attacked the Bible camp. Some of the teenagers were being beaten with sticks as the men ran through the camp. Rika's arms were forced behind her back by one of the Muslims while another challenged her faith. The man shouted, are you a Christian? I told him that we were all Christians. The man was tall and had long hair. He picked up a piece of broken glass from the floor and held it against my stomach. Repeat after me, he shouted. Then he told me to deny Christ. I cried out in my heart to the Lord, save me, help me not to deny my faith. When I did not answer the man, he pressed the glass closer against me. Do you believe your God can help you now, he asked. Yes, I answered. I belong to God, and I believe he will save me. He grabbed a stick and beat me across my back and shoulders. The man yelled, you think that I am not strong. You think that I am not stronger than you, he yelled as he was beating me. I continued crying out to God in my heart and refused to deny him. Rika was repeatedly beaten by the attacker as he insisted that she deny her faith, but she would not. When he realized that I was not going to deny Christ, he said, you are strong too, you are stronger than I am, and he threw the stick on the floor. Rika and her friends were fortunate that night. Although some of the students had to be taken to the hospital, no one was seriously injured in the attack.
know, it, um, it's just heartrending to watch uh, what precious saints have to go through that we take. We don't comprehend it, really. I don't. Because uh, my world is so easy and my world is so comfortable. Um, but the scripture says to remember those uh, who are in chains in Hebrews. It says to remember them. So part of playing this video clip is just obeying the scripture. This is one way to remember them. Also, again, our church, Cornerstone, we give to this ministry, VOM. Uh, you can give personally to them if you want. Just uh, Google online. Uh, but these, these precious witnesses are um, all throughout the world. And they have been granted, it has been granted to them, not only to believe in the name of Jesus, but also to suffer for his name's sake. And uh, she was strong. God gave, she cried out in prayer, and God gave her the strength uh, to bear up to the persecution. And she wasn't ashamed of her Lord and Savior. And it's my prayer. God, please don't let me be ashamed of the gospel. That would be terrible. That's just, that, for me, that would be terrible. And it's only by grace. It's only by the grace of God. So I've talked about four levels or four characteristics of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Our character, our good works, our opening our mouths and suffering and even death. Um, as I think about it, I operate pretty much in level one and level two. My guess is most of the church is in level one and level two, and then a small percentage goes to level three, opening their mouth, and then some percentage, small percent would be level four. Um, but, you know, God knows all that. It's, it's not that we need to be condemning ourselves. The whole goal is to see what does the Scripture say, where are we, and then what should we do? So I've given you what it means to be a witness. So now we know what the Scripture says. So now what we need to do is say, oh God, <laughs> help. Because honestly, how many of us measure up? We don't measure up to the Scripture completely. So we say, God, help. I say, God, help. Help me. Lord, help me to be have godly character. Help me not to bring a reproach on the name of Jesus. Help me not to do something foolish. God, help me not to say something stupid. God, help let me honor you and glorify you through my thoughts, my word. Well, give me opportunities to do good works. Uh, part of this is proactive. I'm not going to get into it a lot today. Today was just to give you the definition of being a witness. But it's the proactive people that probably are used more. Um, what do I mean by that? When we ask God to give us opportunities, God, help, give me opportunities to, to show godly character. Give me opportunities, God, to do good works. In other words, we're proactive. God, I'm going to work today. Show me somebody I can serve today. See, what if we don't go to work that way? Or in our neighborhood, or in the grocery store, or in our schools? Okay, we're just, our mind is so focused on class. It's so focused on getting our jobs done, right? It's the anxiety, it's the pressure of the day. So we're not, we're not really open to the Holy Spirit being able to guide us to do these things. But if you wake up um, and say, God, you know, give me opportunity to, to have pure thoughts and, and to do a good work today. God, give me opportunity to speak to somebody. Ooh, the scary prayer. Speak to somebody. I shared a couple days ago in the email I sent everybody about 
how I, w I was able to be a witness to this waitress at a restaurant here in town. And I went with uh, purpose, I had purpose. I said, God, would you give the opportunity? I'm ready. If you want to use me, show me who. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If he does, he does. Praise God. And he just so happened uh, to use me that day um, in the restaurant. But I was ready. I was prayed up. And she just sat there with her mouth open. And she was ready for the gospel. She was ready for the good news. She's got a backslidden Christian boyfriend. And you know, as we pray for her, he'll come back in. He'll, she'll get saved. And God's going to get glory from it all. So, but see, do we do that day by day? No, not at all. I don't. Can we do that day by day? Yeah. We really could. Do we need help? Yeah, we do need help. Let me end with a prayer. Got this prayer online, actually. I'm just going to read this. And um, if you can relate to it and want to make it your prayer, then you can just be in agreement with the Lord as I read this. It's not on the PowerPoint. Make me a witness, Lord, so faulty I and weak. My trembling word can scarce be heard, so loud my failing speak. Make me a witness, Lord, subdue my will to Thine, that led by Thee in meek accord my lamp may brightly shine. Make me a witness, Lord, that all at home may see a constant daily growth in grace and glory give to Thee. Make me a witness, Lord, to those I daily meet, that I may be thy messenger in neighborhood and street. Make me a witness, Lord, with every talent given, and let my treasure all be stored in deepest vaults of heaven. Make me a witness, Lord, by gift and prayer and pen, in native land and far abroad, telling thy love to men. Make me a witness, Lord, and use me in thy way. Though sacrifices we applaud, tis better to obey. Make me a witness, Lord, thou needest even me. How strange that I can aid afford when captives thou wouldst free. Make me a witness, Lord, that souls on thee may call and glorify thy name adored, O Jesus, Lord of all. And we all say, Amen. That's by a man, G. Alexander, uh, who wrote that. So, this is the first step. God help. Make me a witness. I want to be a good witness for you. Lord, I want to bring you glory with my life. Now, let's have the prayer team come up. Don, are you playing? Okay. I forgot to share one part of my sermon. While he's coming up, I'll share it real quick. It's kind of funny. When I got saved, I was rocked. And I wrote a uh, testimony, seven pages. And I sent it, I don't know, hundreds of people, friends, family, coworkers at B&W at that time. Man, I was so fired up. I was crazy. And uh, I was a witness. I was a witness. But I was witnessing to my sister she got saved. It was awesome. But later on, she talks to me. And she said, John, it wasn't really your words. I mean, she said, you know, your words were good, but what really impacted me was 
when you came home and you loaded the dishes in the dishwasher. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm hoping you, you know, some of you say, well, I'm not going to speak of anything until I can get my acts together. And some of you are like, well, I'm just, I can't get my acts together. I mean, just ask God to help you with, with where you're at in all of this. Uh, if you have, if you want prayer to be a better witness, this will be a good time to come up and the prayer team will be glad to pray for you. We have to have, I can't, I, I'm very dissatisfied, honestly, with my life. I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not a happy camper. And the reason I'm not happy is because I've seen my selfishness. Really. And I, I can't live that way. I can't live this way. And so I'm going to take and have taken strides by God's grace to be less selfish and to reach out more to people, serve people, love people, encourage people, whatever it takes. That's what that's what I need to do. Uh, so that's my confession, and that's, that's what I cry out to God for. And I encourage you to seek God for whatever you need to seek Him for. Um, if you have prayer, come on up for prayer. Uh, also, there was a uh, word of knowledge given. Uh, if somebody has a, a problem with their right eye being out of alignment for the left eye, with their left eye, if that's you, you can come on up for prayer and the prayer team will be glad to pray for you. Let's close with that. Are you going to end the service? Again, feel free to come on up for prayer. And uh, thanks for listening. And the Lord bless you guys. <laughs>